side. But what do I know? Nothing. All right, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord and, and ask him for help this morning. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us here this morning. Thank you for these songs that we can sing that uh, point to the Lord Jesus. Father, thank you that your blood will never lose its power. And uh, Lord, I pray this morning as we look into your word that we will see the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, that believers will be encouraged that perhaps this morning sinners may be saved and that you would lift up our hearts to look to you. We ask for your help in these things. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. It's great to see some faces I've not seen, or half faces, I guess, with masks. So um, I don't recognize everybody by their eyes. So uh, nice to have you with us. And if you're visiting, uh, a, a welcome to you. And if you're new here, Great welcome to you as well. So it's good to have you with us. So I, I started off a while ago. I was going to do a four-part to five-part series on uh, the master theme of the Bible on the Lamb of God. So here we are, part eight. Um, leave it to me to make a short story long. Uh, but as John Wells said last week, he could preach every week from now on till the end of his life on the cross of Jesus Christ. And um, it'd be like that iceberg. He would get a tenth of it, maybe. Um, so when you go into the master theme of the Bible, the greatest book ever, I like what Bob said, you can go to every library in all the world and look at all the billions of volumes that there are. Not all of them combined would ever compare to this one book. So we cannot exhaust the whole idea, the theme of looking at the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. I will do a very quick review. I'm one that I don't, believe in long reviews of what we've done in the past, recaps, but just for the sake of where we are, I will do that. Um, I have to tell you, uh, the gentleman who led me to the Lord actually was one of my favorite speakers ever way back when I used to hear him every few weeks. And he would start his reviewing his previous message and then he'd say, oh my goodness, it's five to 12. Here's the message for today. And so that's why I don't like long reviews. And I probably shouldn't be talking like this because now I'm eating up and it's going to be 5 to 12. <laughs> um, Master Theme of the Bible. This book by J. Sidlow Baxter has been uh, one of a favorite book that I've looked at. Um, and uh, it, that's the title of the book. And somebody at family camp a few years ago pointed it to me, or pointed me to it. And uh, it's out of print. It's very hard to get. It's a rare book. But thank you, Sarah Wells, who actually found a nice, fresh copy for me, hardcover with a dust jacket on it and everything else. I'm so thankful for that. So here's the progression. And I know it looks like a whole lot of stuff up there, but I'm just going to take you quickly through this. We see the theme of the Lamb running through the whole scripture from Genesis, and today we're going to go to Revelation. So from the very first book to the very last book, we will see it points to a lamb. First of all, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, right after Adam and Eve had sinned, we are told that a rescuer would come, one who would have his heel bruised by the serpent, by, by Satan, 
but who's going to crush the head and deliver mankind um, with, his, with his own power. Then we saw a lamb as a necessary sacrifice because Cain and Abel, um, we all know the story of Cain and Abel. Abel offered a lamb. Cain offered the fruit of the ground. God said, I desire a lamb, not the fruit of the ground, not your own efforts. I, I need the shedding of blood for the remission of sin. Cain, you have a chance to make this right. And Cain decided instead of making it right to kill his own brother. First murder that's recorded in all of history. And it was over a sacrifice to God. Very sad. And the state of the human plight has not improved since then. And then we see a lamb provided as a substitute. Abraham was given a son of promise. Abraham went to... One day God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, who you love. First mention of the word love in the Bible. Take him up Mount Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice to me. Abraham willingly did that, got to the top of the mountain, laid his son on this altar, was ready to slay his son. God said, stop, and provided a lamb as a substitute for Isaac. And a lamb uh, was sacrificed in his place. Then we get to the Passover, and we know the story of the Passover, the children of Israel were in Egypt in bondage. Finally, God said, I will get Pharaoh's attention. I will slay the firstborn of everyone in this land. However, children of Israel, sacrifice a lamb, apply the blood to your homes, to the doorposts of your house, and I will pass over you. I will not slay your firstborn. So a lamb is sacrificed. All the details of how it was supposed to happen, four days in the home and then taken out and sacrificed and the blood applied. And when the blood was applied, God said, I will pass over you. And they, they, they were not uh, slain. A lamb as a, a deliverer. And then we see a lamb, it was actually a goat, but very similar type of sacrifice for atonement for sin in Leviticus chapter 16 as a sin offering. And then, it's a fairly, this is where the Day of Atonement for the Jewish people is based on this. And then a lamb for expiation or, or removing the sin, where a second goat, where the sins were pronounced on this goat, and it would run into the wilderness and carry away the sins of the people. And these all point to the Lord Jesus Christ. They all point to the sacrifice that he made on the cross. Then we get to Isaiah chapter 53. It was read this morning. From 52.13, the exact part that you may read. The suffering servant, the same title. But we see that the lamb is a person. The lamb is not an it anymore, it's a he. When you get to Isaiah chapter 53. And then John the Baptist in John chapter 1 verse 29 identifies the lamb as a specific person. Jesus Christ, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then we looked the last time in Mark chapter 15 and Psalm 22 of the final offering of a lamb. Jesus Christ offered for your sins on the cross. The lamb of God offered up for sins. Today, we will get to the final book. You see, Jesus Christ wasn't just offered on the cross and died and it was over. He's alive. He rose again. And we're excited about that. I'm excited about that. Jesus Christ not only died, but he rose again, and your sins are forgiven. Amen. All right, thank you, Clyde and Nime, and Nick. So he, he is 
he is now in heaven. He may did a great message a while back. What is he, what is he doing now? I encourage you to go to SoundCloud, go back and listen to that message, and you'll find out what he's doing right now. But there's a day coming when the, when the lamb will be praised. And as we're going to look, and I, might, I'll, I think I'm probably going to do another message on Revelation with the lamb, but he is the center of everything in our future. Everything will be centered around the lamb. Everything. And I won't talk much more about that because that will mean I won't have to do another message. So we have a lamb for sin in Genesis chapter uh, 4. We have a lamb for an individual given in Genesis 22. Then it progresses to a lamb for a family in the Passover, a lamb for a nation in Leviticus chapter 16, a lamb for the many, he will bear the sins of the many in Isaiah chapter 53, a lamb for the whole world, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, a lamb for all time. When he died, it was the final sacrifice. The final sacrifice. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. You'll realize that there is no other sacrifice. There never will be another sacrifice for sin. And today, we start looking at a lamb for all eternity. So, I've uh, broken this out into... Uh, th- well, I'm getting ahead of myself. So, the book of Revelation, if you would turn there to chapter 1, if you have your Bible, I am going to put the verses up on the wall because I'm going to fluctuate a little bit between the New American Standard and the New Living Translation. I apologize for that, but just some things are a little clearer in, in different uh, translations, and it's a little easier to understand. So, Revelation is a series of visions given to the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos. Patmos was a Roman prison colony. Um, you've, we've heard of prison colonies like places like Devil's Island, Alcatraz, Australia. Um, so, so if you're from Australia, I apologize, but you're probably descended from criminals. But that's, so are we all from Adam. <laughs> so, so take comfort. Um, but there's where it is. It's, just, it's between Greece and closer to Turkey. And so John, they made several attempts to kill John. He's the only one of the apostles who was not martyred. In the, in the real sense. I mean, when you take somebody, you boil them in oil, uh, and you try so many ways to kill him, and then you say, okay, this guy's unkillable. We will stick him on an island in his 90s and leave him alone. And that's kind of martyred him too, I would think. Uh, that's, that's a very, very difficult way to have your last days. But that's what happened with John, and he's on this island of Patmos. I, now, I'm trying to imagine what it is like. John's a 90-year-old man. Given my family history, I probably won't make it to 90, but if I do, by God's grace, um, it, it's probably not easy years. So here's John, 90 to 95 years old, exiled and alone. He's not going to church He's not around a whole bunch of believers that we know of. He's isolated and he's alone. Now, that would get you down, I think. I think that would get you down. But you see, John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so he came to him and gave him this vision of the future. I'm sure he didn't feel alone once he started getting these revelations from God directly. The angel came and visited him. So he's on this island and he gets these, this vision of things which, which must soon take place. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, it says it. 
Now, the book of Revelation is full of different symbols and metaphors and pictures. I'm not going to go into any of those today, but the most important of these are the lion and the lamb. Both refer to Jesus Christ. John was part of Jesus' inner circle. How many times do you read of Peter, James, and John? Peter, James, and John. They were at the transfiguration. Jesus had this kind of group that was close to him, Peter, James, and John. John was one of those. John was known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And it's kind of funny that he writes that because John himself writes this. He says, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. But you know what? If you're here this morning and you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you can say, I'm the person Jesus loved. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. So John proclaims to the whole world every time he writes about, oh yeah, and the guy who got to the grave first was the disciple whom Jesus loved. And that's what he referred to himself as. He was so struck with the love of the Lord Jesus all his life. So three things I want to cover off this morning, and um, we'll go through Revelation chapter 1. And then we'll go to Revelation chapter 5 and spend most of our time there. Revelation chapter 1, the scene. This is the scene of what takes place in this vision that John has. If you look in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10, and I will put it up here in the NLT because uh, I kind of like the way the NLT put this. He says in Revelation chapter 1 verse 10, it was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the spirit. Now notice it didn't say I was worshiping in the church. He was in self-isolation, you could say. He was by himself. He was alone. I was worshiping in the spirit. Suddenly, I heard behind me a loud voice, like a trumpet blast. Go to verse 12, please. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven golden lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. And he was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. His voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp uh, two-edged sword came from his mouth. His face was like the sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forevermore, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. So that sets the scene. Revelation written around 90 to 95 A.D., at least 60 years after Jesus had ascended to heaven. John and the other disciples who were close to Jesus during his three years on the earth would know Jesus very, very well. I find this quite interesting. John would remember a lot of the characteristics of Jesus. He would probably remember the way he walked, the way he spoke, his voice. Uh, we we kind of said at the at the men's study, that he probably didn't laugh a lot, but when he did laugh, he probably had a very characteristic laugh. I think he probably did laugh. I mean, you're around guys like Peter, you gotta laugh. <laughs> so, so, 
John would know him very well. So you could imagine not hearing a voice for 60 years. 60 years he had not heard the voice of the Lord Jesus. And then all of a sudden, he hears behind him this voice that's so familiar to him from 60 years ago. It was, a, it was not like the Jesus that he knew walking this earth. There was a song, I remember singing this in them, and I had to look it up to see if it was really right. There was a song in, we used to sing in school. Believe it or not, we used to sing little children's hymns and stuff in school in certain grades. I could probably tell you which teachers, if I look back now, the teachers that did this and prayed with us, they were probably Christians and I didn't know it, and the other ones weren't. So, but I do remember I had this one teacher and she used to sing with us this song, Precious Jewels was one of the songs, and she used to sing this, um, what was it? Uh, gentle, gentle Jesus, Meek and Mild. I don't know if you know that song, Gentle Jesus, Meek and Mild. Well, what John sees here is not gentle Jesus, meek and mild. He's seeing Jesus Christ risen and riled. I mean, he is, he is a different vision from, from what he saw when he walked the earth. Jesus is glorified. He's dignified. He's magnified. He's resurrected. And he's not like a gentle lamb, but he's a roaring lion. And he sees this, this being And he knows and recognizes from the voice, if nothing else, this is Jesus Christ. That's the setting. That's where he is on the Lord's Day. Turn with me ahead, and just for the sake of time, because I can't do the book of Revelation in uh, a lot of time here. Um, Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. We'll see what this, it's about a scroll, verses one to four. Then I saw a scroll sitting in the right hand to the one who was sitting on the throne. And there was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll. And it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals on the scroll and to open it? But no one in heaven or on earth, under the earth, was able to open the scroll and read it. And I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and to read it. So it refers to the one who was sitting on the throne. If you go back to Revelation chapter 4, it speaks of the Almighty God. It gives a vision of what the Almighty God looked like seated on the throne. So what is this scroll? Well, it definitely involves the future and the fate of planet Earth. Uh, Is it I mean, I read a number of people who say it's the title deed to the earth. I think that's conjecture. I don't, I don't fully agree with that. Because in Psalm 24, verses uh, 1 and 2, it says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Let's not think that just because Satan is the god of this world, it's the world system. It's not, not the earth. It's not, it's not, he doesn't own it. He does not own it. He's messing it up. I mean, my grandkids were over last night. They don't own my house, but they acted like they did, and they messed it up last night, okay? So, but at the end of the day, they didn't own it. So Satan is is alive and well on planet Earth, as some people have said, and he's stirring things up, and he's making a mess of it. You see, man was given in the Garden of Eden 
the instruction to have stewardship over the earth, to look after the earth, to manage the earth. And what did they do? The one who said, I own it, you look after it, they sinned. They listened to the enemy. And they just basically turned over the stewardship to him. All right, uh, yeah, I guess I'm not qualified anymore. He said, great. And the evil one has had control of a lot of things on planet Earth. A lot of people's hearts. A lot of things that are stirred up and messed up. But God owns the earth. And God will bring things back to where they were. God will set the wrongs right. You see, he's the creator. He is the owner. Satan in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 4 is called the God of this world who has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. It doesn't say he has taken possession of the earth. He's messed you and me up. That's what he's done. Romans chapter 8 verse 22 says, for we know that all creation has been groaning as in pains of birth, uh, childbirth right up to the present time. I'm watching and following this volcano in the, in the Canary Islands in uh, La Palma. In fact, every, every day I go and I, I look and, and watch it live. There's a live camera that sits there and you're looking at it thinking, oh my goodness, this is vicious. And it, I saw this morning, afternoon over there, that it's now coming in and going to engulf this little town. It's, it's, it's taken cemeteries, it's, taken, it's wiped out towns, it's displaced thousands of people. And there's no stop to it, there's no end to it. And every time I look at that, I'm thinking, the whole creation is groaning in pains of childbirth. And I just have interest in this thing. This is not for me trying to track the date when, God, when God's going to send the Lord Jesus back. So don't put an earthquake app on your phone for that. But I have one because I'm interested in earthquakes. And thank you, David. That was a great book on earthquakes that you sent my way. It's old, but it was really good because earthquakes haven't changed. Uh, and, and you look at all of these things and you think that the whole creation is just groaning. This morning I got up and I was notified of an earthquake, 7.1 in Peru. Like the, the world is just groaning. All of creation is. Up to this present time. So here is this scroll, and what is it? I don't know. Don't know fully. I think to say what it is, it would be pretty much conjecture. But it has something to do with the earth. And, it, and these seals are judgments that are coming upon mankind in a future time. So now this search is going. They want to know in heaven, what's this scroll all about? What is it for? What, what does it mean? And so they search all through heaven, looking for someone to open this scroll. Who has authority to do it? Is there anybody who has the right to do it? Who has the right to rule the earth? And they search all through heaven. I mean, there's many who have been willing to rule the earth, but did not have the right to rule the earth. Alexander the Great, Nebuchadnezzar, many of the Caesars, Adolf Hitler... They've all decided, I think I'll rule the earth. Didn't work for them very well. The question isn't who wants to rule the earth, but who is worthy to rule. So no angel, no archangel, not Abraham, not Isaac, not Jacob or Joseph, no king, no David, no Solomon, no Elijah, no Daniel, no Peter, no Paul, no angel, no human, no devil, no politician, don't get those mixed up. But no one is worthy to open these scrolls that concern planet Earth. 
So John wept. And what it says here about his weeping is in verse 4, it says, I wept bitterly. The, 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 the word in the Greek is that I wept loud, audible sobs in abundance. It's not just brushing away a little tear. He was weeping. It was heartbreaking to him. What, who can open the scrolls? The Savior can. Turn with me to chapter 5, verse 5. But one of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir of David's throne, has conquered. He is worthy to open the scroll and break its seven seals. I love this verse. I love this verse. A solution has been found. The answer has been given. Isn't it funny how Jesus Christ is the answer to every problem? Isn't it funny when you're looking for problems to be solved? When you're looking for problems in your marriage to be solved? When you're looking for problems in your home with your kids to be solved? When you're looking for problems in your life to be solved because it's a mess and a shipwreck? When you're looking for someone to deliver you from your sin? In all of these things, there is an answer. So maybe you've wept bitterly over the issues in your life and you have, it, your life is like this scroll with the seven seals. I don't know who can unravel this mystery in my life. Isn't it wonderful that the answer is always found in Jesus Christ, the Savior who can come, the Deliverer, it says in verse 5, but the 20, uh, oh, I just read that, sorry. 24 elders said, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has conquered. He is worthy to open the, the scroll and break its seals. So 27 different titles are given to the Lord Jesus from Revelation 1 to Revelation 5. It, actually, in the total of, of uh, uh, the book of Revelation, there's 36 titles given to Christ. It's interesting, 36 in a whole book of 21 chapters, but in the first five, 27 of them are given. He's called the Lion of Judah. Judah was a son of Isaac, of Jacob, of Jacob, grandson of Isaac. <laughs> he was a son of Jacob. And when Jacob was giving his last words and instructions to his son, he said to his son Judah, Judah is a lion's whelp. A deliverer will come from Judah. Here he is. He's the lion of Judah. The heir to David's throne. God promised David that one of his offspring would rule the world from his throne. His throne would be an everlasting throne. First, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 13. God promised the throne of David perpetually to one who would come in the future. This is Jesus Christ. And John being Jewish, he knew these prophecies. He knew these accounts that were given in the, in the Old Testament. He knew First and Second Samuel. He knew the book of Genesis. And here's the elder John. He was told to look to see a lion and he turns around to see the glorified Christ like he saw in, in chapter one, and what does he see? A lamb. A lamb that looked like it had been slain. Now he was expecting to see a lion. I mean, if I was driving down the street with my grandson, 
in the back seat, and they said, oh, hey, look, a fire truck. Well, he doesn't expect to see a clown juggling a ball going down the street. He expects to see a fire truck. And so here's John thinking, the lamb, or the lion, I've got to see this lion. And he turns and he looks and he sees what looks like a lamb that had been slain, sacrificed. Lambs are sacrificed at the Passover to protect the household. Lamb, he, saw, he saw this lamb looking as it had been wounded, fatally, as it had been slain, as it had been brutalized. You know, I think it's possible, very, very possible, very probable, that when we see Jesus Christ in heaven, we will have glorified bodies, he will have a glorified bodies, body, but I believe that we will see the wounds of Calvary. I believe we will forever see those wounds. That won't make, me, won't, won't make me feel bad because he will be glad to bear those wounds. He's gladly borne those wounds for me already on the cross. His hands, his feet, his side, wounded for me. Why do I think that? These verses from the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 12. Verse 10, it says, Then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David, on the people of Jerusalem, and they will look on me whom they have pierced and mourn for him as an only son. They will grieve bitterly for him as for a firstborn son who has died. It will be very, very clear that he was pierced when they look upon him. This is talking of a future day in this prophecy. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 6. And one will say, to him, what are these wounds between your arms? And he will say, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. These are prophetic things for a future day when Christ comes. His wounds will be visible. I believe they will be visible for us. And while we come in the morning and we look at a cup and we look at a loaf of bread on the table that reminds us of what he's done for us, I think every moment of every day when we look at him, we will see those wounds and we will be reminded of what he has done for us. For Jesus, these wounds meant that he could buy us back to God. He, it says that he has redeemed us back to God. The lamb that had been killed is now a lamb that, lamb that is standing that's the wonderful thing. He is not a, he's not lying there wounded, dead, tongue hanging out, and all of that stuff. He looks like he's standing. He's, he's, he's up. He's alive. Ready for action. He is the meekness of the lamb, but the strength and steadiness and might of a lion. Because he first became a lamb, he's qualified now to come again as a lion. He has rescued the world as a lamb. He will rule the world as a lion. The lion and the lamb, all in one person. Actually, moving to my final point. Can I have the next slide, please? We frozen? We're frozen. All right. Oh, great, thanks. Um, let's look further in chapter uh, five, verse eight. It says, when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and the golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy 
are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. At this moment, everything has been building up to this moment. The lamb steps forward and he takes the scroll. He is worthy. He is the one. He is the only one who is worthy to take this, this scroll. It's the pinnacle of revelation and a prelude to the greatest event in the history of mankind, the return of Jesus Christ when he comes to rule this earth. Jesus Christ will forevermore take control of the world. He'll bring about real and lasting change at his second coming. He will right every wrong. No more let sins and sorrow grow or thorns infest the ground. That song is actually about that moment when he comes back to rule this world. Joy to the world. So when the Lamb takes the scroll, that will be the answers to all the prayers of God's people through the ages who prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That will be the moment when the kingdom of God will be set up on earth a thousand years and then forever. In response to this, it says there is a new song that is sung. I like that. I like that it's a new song. I like that sometimes we sing new songs and nobody complains. They sing them. They learn them. King of heaven, come down. <laughs> a new song. <laughs> but you know what? When we, when we sing it to the Lord, it sounds fantastic. It sounds fantastic for singing to the Lord. It's a new song. We might not know it, but we sing it. We sing it with all our heart. You know, every Christian ought to be a singing Christian because we have every reason to sing. And if we think that we're going to go to heaven and sit and listen to angels sing and choirs sing and we'll just be sitting back going, yeah, pretty good, that one's a little off key. Is that in D? You know, that's not gonna happen in heaven. You, if you're a believer, and if you are going to heaven, you will be in that choir. You will be singing. So, you know what? Why not practice now? So, like, I was in a church not that long ago. And there was a group up here like this. And they were singing and playing instruments and stuff. And I looked and it was mostly the men were like this. I hate to tell them they won't be doing that in heaven. They're going to sing their faces off. Like, start doing it now. Sing. Christians, you have every reason to sing. We have so much to sing about. Sing with purpose. Sing with emotion. The world does that. Do you ever pull up next to somebody in the car and they're bopping along to something else? Man, they're, they're giving her. So if you're going to sing to the Lord, give her, as they say. You know, people say, well, yeah, emotion. I don't kind of like show much emotion. Really? I was with some of you when Crosby scored the golden goal. <laughs> you showed a lot of emotion. If I went to Toulouse place and watched the soccer match and your favorite team, whatever it is, scores a goal, I'm picking on you, but you're the wrong guy because you sing with emotion. <laughs> but, but, you know, you show emotion for those things. I, I, I've, I've watched concerts and things where all of a sudden they sing the favorite song and people's arms are around each other and they're back and forth and they're swaying and they're, they're worshiping whoever the, the big star is that's up there singing and I'm thinking, Wow. But sometimes we go to church and it's, 
King of heaven, come down. You know, it's like we've got to sing to the Lord. Look at what he's done for us. We will sing for eternity. Sing with emotion. Worship is the only earthly activity that I know of that we will be doing in heaven. There's nothing else. You know what, Warren? He's gone. Maybe he's gone ahead of us. I don't know. <laughs> Warren and John won't be going around saying, hey, listen, I got great news for you. Hey, did you, did you get one of these? Somebody's going to take it and say, hey, dude, like I'm here. I don't need this. Like, I'm here. Why would I need this? We won't be evangelizing in heaven. Nobody's going to call the elders of the church to come and lay hands on and pray for somebody who's sick in heaven. It's not going to happen. You will be well. Nobody's going to say, let's get together for a prayer meeting because like, this COVID thing's ramping up again. Not going to happen. None of these things will happen in heaven, but you will sing in heaven. That's the activity that you will be doing. You will be singing in heaven. So I, I tell you, I implore with you, sing now. Get ready for it. So what's this song about? The song is about his sacrifice and his worthiness. Verse nine, it says, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. You were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And you've made them, uh, you've made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth. A couple things I like there. Well, it says, purchase with your blood, men. Uh, can I say, mankind. Women, children, men, for all. You've purchased, you've given your blood to purchase all. The other thing is, from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. I, I like when I look out here. It's not every tri tribe, tongue, people, and nation represented, but there's a lot of them. There's a lot. People from all around the world, 12 time zones away, which is the other side of the world, six time zones away, five time zones away, and we're here. This is a taste of heaven. So let's sing to the one who was worthy together. We are from different tribes, tongues, nations, and people. They sing of the one who is worthy to rule as the Lion of Judah because he died as the Lamb of God. The power is in the shed blood of Jesus Christ and without it there is no forgiveness of sin. So we are to sing of the blood of Christ. There is resistance these days sometimes. We don't want to hear about that. It's gory, it's, it's blood. Ugh. No, 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 no. The blood is what purchased you. The blood is the ransom that was paid for you. I'll tell you, if I was kidnapped and someone came up with, I mean, I don't know, it would have to be not very much money to get me free, but you, you, you paid a million dollars to get me free. You, you know what? Would, you, would I not go around and say, hey, listen, listen. David Hansen paid a million dollars to have me released from my, from my kidnapped state. Would that be offensive? No. So talking about the blood of Jesus that paid the greatest ransom ever to rescue you from the slavery of sin, from the bondage of Satan, we need to sing about that. That is the ransom that was paid. 
Finally, we come to the spot where we see that mankind has a huge problem. That's why a ransom had to be paid. We can't be close to God just because we want to be close to God. We can't get there on our own terms. We are separated from God by our sin. We can't make our own way. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Isaiah the prophet writes this, Listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is he too deaf to hear you call. It is your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. If you are miserable today and you have not had your sins forgiven, you are miserable because your sins are not forgiven. You need to have your sins forgiven. Either you pay for your sins or you have someone else pay for them. Back to the kidnapping thing. If they said, we'll let you go, but we need a million dollars. I don't have a million dollars. You gotta give me a million dollars. I don't have a million dollars. I can't. I can't pay it. I can't pay for my sins. It would, take, it would take eternity in hell to try to pay for my sins. And even that wouldn't satisfy. But Jesus Christ died for you. Jesus Christ went to the cross to die for us and fully paid for our sins. How do I know he fully paid? Three days later, he rose from the grave. The check cleared. I am free. Jesus stepped in as the lamb offered to pay for our sins. The Bible can be summed up in one sentence. Behold the Lamb of God. That summarizes the whole Bible for me. The Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. The Old Testament asked the question, where is the Lamb? The New Testament answered the question, behold the Lamb. In heaven, we will sing, worthy is the Lamb. It's all about the Lamb. Revelation chapter 5 I'll read the rest of the verses here, 11 to 14. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creature and the elders and the number of them was myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing that is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all the things in them, I heard saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. And we're gonna, we're gonna do this. We're gonna practice this song in a minute. <laughs> but when you look at this, he is worthy to receive power great power to accomplish all of his purposes on the earth. He's, he's worthy to receive riches, the wealth of all the universe. All of this is his by creation and is now his by redemption and will be his by reclamation. All wisdom, his omniscience, he is wise in carrying out all the purposes of God in the world. His might his mighty power. Jesus Christ walked this earth and did great miracles. The greatest of all, he raised himself from the dead. Honor. Esteemed above all others. The only one who is worthy. There is no one 
worthy of talking about other than Jesus Christ. And glory, we need to adore him, his great glory, his person, his work, his past, his present, his future. And blessing, all the praise that should be given to the Lord because of his wonderful acts of redemption. I have, I have down here, I have one question, but I put up two. Will you be there? Important question. Will you be there? You know, I think every day, I at least am, am recognizing the fact that I will be there. This feels less like home to me every single day. Heaven is our home. Will you be there? You can be there. There's not a single person here who cannot be in heaven. Every single person has an opportunity today because Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, came to take away your sin and take you to heaven. The second question is, do you know him? I didn't realize John left this up here last week. I guess this is our, our prop for preaching every week. He may, or whoever's on next, or Warren's on next week, he can use this. But do you know him? We ask thousands of people, thousands of people on the streets of Halifax, do you know him? There's no better question to ask right now in this day. Do you know him? The one who died for you. The greatest and only savior of the world. You can know him today. He can set you free from your sin. He can make you ready for heaven that you may sing his praises forever. And I'll tell you what, it won't be boring. It will be the most glorious thing that you'll ever do. You'll never tire of it. It'll be new every moment of every day. A boy once captured two little birds and put them in a cage. And a man saw him carrying a cage and said, what are you going to do with the birds? Oh, the boy said, I'm, I'm going to play with them for a little while, and then I'm going to feed them to my cat. My cats have to eat. Don't say, ah. <laughs> But it does sound pretty horrible. <laughs> and so he said, I'd like to buy the cage and the birds from you. How much do you want for them? The boy thought for a minute, and then he named his price. The man thought, that's pretty steep, but I'll pay it. He handed him the cash. The boy handed him the cage. Immediately, in front of the boy, he opened the cage and set the birds free. That's what Jesus Christ has done for us. Satan has us caged in a cage. And he's going to feed us into the jaws of eternal death. That's what he wants to do when he's done. But Jesus Christ purchased us, the cage and all, to set us free. Isn't that worthy of worshiping him for all eternity? He has set us free. He paid the price we need to start practicing our worship down here because he alone is worthy. Father, thank you this morning for the lion that is the lamb. Thank you for the one who gave himself for us, our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, if there's anybody here this morning when the question is asked, do you know him? They say, well, I don't think so. Or not really, or absolutely not. Lord, may they today come to you 
recognize that Jesus Christ is the Lord of the universe. He is the Lord of all. He is the Lamb of God as well who takes away the sin of the world. If there's a sinner here who's never been forgiven, may they come today. Recognize the fact that they are a sinner and they are in great danger in their own sin and turn their hearts to you to be delivered and free from that sin. We thank you, Lord. You are the Savior. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lion of the tribe of Judah and the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In his name, amen. We have about two minutes, three minutes.